According to uh, Greek mythology, and I promise I won't stay in Greek mythology long, Sisyphus was the founder, and he was the king of Corinth. Now, I know you want me to get into details, but I'm not going to get into details. But just trust me when I say that Sisyphus was a bad, bad man. God, I should say. He was smart. He was selfish. He was evil. And according to Greek mythology, over the course of his lifetimes, lifetimes plural, he was so powerful that he actually, when he first died, he chained Thanatos, the god of death. He put him in chains, and he was able to escape from death's grip until his life was so bad, and he had tortured Thanatos so much that when he actually, uh, when he got out of death the final time, Thanatos didn't want him back, so he just let him live. He finally died, but during his life, he had really angered Zeus, right, the, the chief god of the Greek gods, and so when he finally died, Zeus, remembering this, sentenced him for all of his afterlife to roll a boulder up a hill, steep hill, and when he reached the top, every time the boulder would fall all the way back down to the bottom of the hill. And he did this again and again and again and again throughout his entire afterlife. He was condemned eternally to meaningless work. Now, some of you may think that's your life, meaningless work. Some of you may enjoy your work, but it is, and I would argue none of you are ultimately doing meaningless work, an especially cruel position to be in for eternity to have work that has no purpose at all, a boulder that just rolls down a hill. It's actually a unique form of, of torture. What did you work for over the last week? All of you spent hours, students, adults, working for something. Why? Yes, I know you worked for money. But ultimately, why? What are you working for with your life? Will it last? This morning, we'll think about that together from John's gospel. We're going to go back to chapter 6, where we left off last week, to verse 23, 2, John 26, 22. And we'll go through verse 40. So John is in the New Testament. The big letter 6 is the chapter. The verses are the small numbers as we work through this passage. Here, this week, we still have the crowd. And they are working to find Jesus, ultimately to find bread. But to their surprise, Jesus begins to teach them about bread they can't conceive of. They don't know about. And he upends everything that the world would naturally think about the work of God and the will of God in this text. As we work through this, I want you to see this. Work for lasting satisfying bread by believing in him who will not lose you. Work for lasting, satisfying bread by believing in him who will never lose you. So we're going to see two points this morning, bread that lasts and bread that satisfies. Lasting bread 
satisfying bread. Let's begin first by seeing bread that lasts. Bread that lasts. I'm going to read from verses 22 to 34. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe in you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. This is the day after. It was an extraordinary day. Jesus, just the day before, had fed thousands. Unknown to them, he had walked on water. And now John takes us back to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and there's a remnant of this crowd, and they are affected. They are looking for Jesus. I, I, I was thinking about this and can't imagine what it was to wake up the next day and to process what they experienced the day before. And Jesus is gone. They realize he came in over seas, uh, over the sea in a boat. He did not get in the boat with the disciples. There's other boats now. Some have come from Tiberias, which was about eight kilometers across the sea. And when they saw, verse 24, what they did not see Jesus or his disciples, they get back in boats. They go to the other side to Capernaum. They're seeking Jesus. Now, John did not have to include this section. He could have gone from verse 21, where we ended last week, right to the next day, verse 25. But John wants us to see clearly that this crowd is seeking Jesus intensely. And they ultimately find him. John does not include what Mark includes in his account of this story in Mark 6, that Jesus spent time healing the sick that they brought to him. John only includes their question there, verse 25, Rabbi, when did you come here? 
Now, do you remember that the day before they wanted to make him their king? He disappeared. Now they call him rabbi. So he's already a king whose kingship they don't understand. He's about to be a rabbi whose teaching they do not understand. And once again, he does not answer their question in verse 26. He gives them the answer they need. Why you're really seeking me. Again, Jesus was never confused by crowds. Are you confused by crowds? Uh, This crowd here helps us to understand the world. Just like the crowd, the world can certainly go after the wrong things, but also like the crowd, the world can go after the right things for the wrong reasons. That's what Jesus says, isn't it? You aren't seeking me for the right reasons because you saw the signs. You are seeking me for the wrong ones because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now, do you remember last week in chapter 6, verse 2, the crowd was following him because they saw the signs? It was just fascination. It wasn't belief. But now Jesus says you're not seeking me because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves. The reason Jesus is saying this is this crowd keeps going after him for what he can physically do, not for what he is spiritually. If they saw the signs, they would have perceived what they signified, who Jesus is, more than just the benefits of food. So the crowd cannot see beyond their own stomach. They cannot see beyond what their flesh wants. The world, like the crowd, can go after what is good, but for the wrong reasons. What do I mean? This crowd wants Jesus for what they can get from Jesus. They do not want Jesus for Jesus. Seek him to fill their stomachs. He could possibly free them from Rome, but they seek him for the wrong reasons. Our world is constantly, maybe you, going after good things for wrong reasons. Relationships pursued not for the person, but for what the person can do for you. Is that you? You constantly angling with people to see what you can get? I think it's remarkable that Jesus here, who could have taken anything he wanted from this crowd, he seeks nothing from them. He only seeks to give them himself. I hope you will never lose, or maybe for the first time, Be astonished at how different the church is from the crowd. In Christ, together, seeking Jesus for Jesus. Does our sister Jane want to be healed? Of course she wants to be healed. But she loves Jesus for Jesus. Do we want JC to be healed? Of course we want him to be healed. JC wants to be healed. Monique wants him to be healed. But have we not benefited from them trusting Jesus in this terrible trial. They love Jesus even though they're being given 
from Jesus' hands what they would have never asked from Jesus. It's true in our relationships. I mean, this country, you can explain so many relationships based on self-interest. Just using people for what you can get. Or, a better form, we gravitate toward people that are like us, that are easy for us. But only Jesus can explain this crowd becoming a congregation. We can only explain that we're not just a crowd, but a congregation by Jesus. Jesus is enough. If you're you're coming here and you're on the edges, consider coming in, really coming in, uniting with us as a congregation, coming to the classes we're offering on, on membership, making yourself known to all of us. And in doing so, you help us make much of Jesus together in this place. As we begin, ask yourself why you're seeking what you're seeking. Let me just address the students, adults, you should listen in. Why are you seeking what you're seeking even in these years? Dig into that. You're not young enough to, too young to probe your soul. Jesus will not be sought for the stuff of this world. There's so many other places you can do that. He means for you in these years to seek him. That's what he's making clear to the crowd. Verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father has set his seal. His seal is his authentication. Authentication. When we uh, hear, we, we often have to take official documents. Some of you will do this as well, to the, to the ruler's court. And they always want our church stamp. They want our seal put on it because it signifies this is officially ours. Jesus has his father's seal Uh, at his baptism. The father authorized, he vindicated, he set his seal on the son. He is his agent to the world. And he says to the world, you can work in your life for two kinds of food. The kind that perishes and the kind that endures to eternal life, that, that lasts So this crowd is working for the food of this world, and Jesus is working to move them from thinking physically to spiritually. They do not understand who he is, and they do not understand what he's saying. They want this food. And so they ask, verse 28, what must we be doing to do the works of God? What are they asking? They're asking Jesus, what are the works God requires? They're they're, they're hungry in ways they don't know how to articulate. And Jesus says, this is the work of God. You believe in him who he has sent. Now, this back and forth here is such a vivid contrast between man-made salvation and the salvation of God that comes from heaven. Verse 27, do not work for this kind of food that perishes, but for the food that endures, which the Son of Man will give to you. Verse 28, they want to work to a world hardwired to earn, to work. God says, believe. They're so used to working for food that perishes, they have no idea how to get this food that lasts. They want to work, and Jesus keeps making clear the work is a gift. Verse 27, the Son of Man will give to you. 
Verse 29, the work is that you believe. The crowd, the world wants to earn what God will only and ever give. As I was wrestling with this, it hit me. This must have so deeply affected the Apostle Paul, who as he was thinking about the gospel and he's writing the letter to the Romans and we get to chapter 6, he sees humanity is all working, 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 working for sin, and sin pays. Sin has a wage. You can earn something from working for sin. Its wages perish. Sin's wages are death. Why do we die? Ultimately, why do cells die? I don't necessarily know, but I know why we ultimately die. We've all sinned against God, and the payment we earn for that sin, what we earn from sin is death. Physical death makes clear to you a spiritual reality. But what is astonishing with salvation is that eternal life does not come from working your way back to God. Can't you hear the logic of Jesus and what Paul concludes? He does not write, wages of sin are death, but the wages of God, but the gift of God is eternal life. God has first given his son into the world to come into the world. His son has died on the cross, lived a righteous life, raised from the dead, proving, unlike a Greek myth, death could not hold him. And he earned salvation, such that salvation is a gift. Let me say that again. Salvation is a gift. Let me say it another way. Jesus is saying no to you if your human heart or your human effort or your religion says you must earn your way to God. He calls you to repent and believe, to come to him and receive the food that gives life. So what road are you on? Are you on the works of the law road, your works road? Or are you on this road by grace in which you've come to see salvation? All of it is a gift. Wrestle with that. Jesus is not taking from this crowd. He's giving You want bread that endures? You want bread that lasts, that goes to eternal life? Stop working. Open up your hands and receive it. It's so counter to our hearts. What works are you trying to offer up to God? This world is living on a treadmill of works. This world is like Sisyphus rolling a boulder up a hill and it does it again and again and again and it's all food that perishes. It's never enough. Faith seems so weak to us, so small. It doesn't stay that way, even if it begins that way. Small fires bring down forests. Small fires in the desert can bring down, evidently, the desert. They'll find you here. If you don't contain your fire, we were protected on Christmas Eve. For that, I am grateful. What is small can spread. And what seems small and weak, faith in Christ, what does it do? It changes your life. It changes your eternity. It changes other people's lives. Others' faith in Christ affects you. So for those of you who have trusted in Christ alone, it's very easy, isn't it, to say it's all of grace. It's so easy as well to get back on that treadmill of works. It's so easy as a Christian to start justifying yourself before God by what you do. How you perform, 
Did you read your Bible last week? Great. Is that enough to justify you before God? No way. Did you share the gospel many times or no times at all? It's not enough to justify you before God or for you to lose your justification. How easy it can be for Christians to start thinking that we're better than those people or that person because we did this or that. We know that and they don't know that or we know that person or those people and they don't know those people or that person. You were not saved by your works. Stop trying to relate to God by your works. God wants you to move deeper into this reality that your salvation is a gift. Don't eat bread that perishes. You've been given the kind of bread that lasts. No work I do, no gift I give can cleanse my conscience or my hands. The works God requires is not a work at all. It's to believe. And he means for that to change your life. By verse 30, this crowd trying to make sense of Jesus wants to know, what sign do you do? What work do you perform? Now they're assuming he must be like Moses. So he must be able to do more. What did Moses do? He kept giving them bread, more stuff. They want to talk Moses with Jesus. Jesus does not want to talk Moses. He leads them to the Father. In verse 32, it wasn't Moses who gave you bread from heaven. My father gives you the true bread from heaven. They're so desperate for food that perishes. Jesus has come to give them bread that lasts. Bread from heaven, from his father. And wanting to know what works God requires. This crowd, the world, what do they want? They want a transactional relationship with God. Tell me what I must do. What minimum requirement? And Jesus means to give them much, much more. Right in front of their eyes is the bread of God who comes down from heaven to give life. The crowd that wanted to know what are the works that God requires. Now, verse 34, ask Jesus, give us this bread always but they have no idea what it is because they have no idea who he is. Are you with your life ultimately rolling a boulder up a hill again and again? As a Christian, are you trying to earn what God has already given you? What bread are you working for? God is glorified when we take him at his word and we believe. Keep Believing this is the bread that lasts. Secondly, I want us to see the bread that satisfies. Bread that satisfies. Verses 35 through 40. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. 
For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So to this crowd that has just said to Jesus, whatever they understood the bread to be, sir, give us this bread always, Jesus very simply says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. It's the first of seven I am sayings in which he will use physical reality to teach them spiritual reality. Bread that doesn't meet your very physical needs, but bread that gives life, that satisfies. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, shall never thirst. He's moving us from physical appetites to the deepest longing of your soul. We are hungry and we are thirsty at a depth and a level we do not naturally understand. Do you remember the Samaritan woman at the well a few chapters before? She keeps talking to Jesus about physical water. And Jesus in that conversation is determined to make this woman see how thirsty she was. She only wanted from Jesus the kind of water that would ensure she'd never have to show her face in public in that town and come back to that well and get water again. Jesus says to her, I'm offering you living water. You'll never be thirsty again. And what did she say? Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and have to come here to draw water. Here he is offering a crowd bread so that they'll never hunger or thirst. Now, some of you are more hungry and you're more thirsty than you would ever admit. You are so scared to leave the safety and the comfort of the life that you're in and come into the life that Jesus is offering you right here. You're scared out of your mind. This bread will satisfy you. This bread will fill you. What's the bread you're eating for your life? What are you banking your life on? Now, for some of you, it's, it's your works. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's something good like ministry. Maybe it's money. Whether you'll say it or not, you're, you're banking your life on that. And you, you can't imagine a life where that's not where the weight of your value and your life rest. You hear Jesus say he has this life, and you just move right on past it. Just like the Samaritan woman, like with the crowd. He is forcing you to see yourself, to look inside yourself for who you are. He's forcing you to ask, what am I hungry for? How am I trying to satisfy it? If you're a Christian, my guess is you can look back to a time when you ran after bread that did not satisfy you. It left you hungry. It left you thirsty. Do you still know the joy of being satisfied in Christ? Needing nothing more. Students, what, wherever you are in school, you live in a world desperate for you to eat its bread. Social media, popularity, accomplishment, none of it, none of it has power to give you life. None of it. There's no relationship, there's no accomplishment, there's no crowd, no title that can give you what Jesus is offering you here freely. Learn this. You know what's powerful about Jesus is in him, you can miss out on so much of what this world 
is offering you. And at the same time, you'll be satisfied. You'll never thirst. There's power here. There's a rest here that's very scary at first. It's so different than what you're used to. Don't eat bread that perishes in your younger years. Jesus satisfies. The tragedy here is verse 36. They see him. They've heard him. They don't believe him. So don't think if you only lived them and you saw what he did. They saw. They didn't believe. Did that cause Jesus to throw his hands up in despair? Was he ever surprised by unbelief? Is he fretting that somehow his mission might fail, that somehow God's purposes would be thwarted? Not at all. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me will never cast out. He's the Father's Son. He is the one who makes the Father known to the world. He does what God alone can do. He's in unique relationship with the Father. First, I want you to see from this He's not on a solo mission. The mission of Jesus is a mission he and the Father are in together. He's being completely rejected, and he's completely in control. All that the Father has given to me will come to me. He's on a mission for a people. The Father has given to him. He does not wish they will come. He says they will come. And so second... Be sure that Jesus will not fail in his mission. He did not finish his work on earth and go to heaven hoping somehow everything will work out. He's not up there frantic, helpless before this world. I mean, after the resurrection, do you ever see a glimpse of a weak Jesus in the Bible? In his ascension? In Acts? In Revelation? We look weak. Jesus is not. Now, some would argue that God's election of a people makes us passive. But that's not the case with Jesus. That's not what he's doing here. He's on a mission to save. And nothing, not the unbelief of the crowd, not even their desire to make him king, will stop Jesus from this mission to save. It's because we're confident that all that the Father has given to Jesus that we go on with confidence. We know more will come. The Father has given a people to the Son. So we're not passive, we're active. We make the gospel known. We plant churches. We are faithful in our churches. God uses means to accomplish these ends. Jesus will not fail. Third, see what this means for you who trust Christ. Think of this. The Father has given you to the Son. Apart from any merit in you, the Father gave you to the Son. The Son came for you. And the more you sit and you dwell in that truth, the more you will grow in joy and love for God, the more you will understand that you've come to the Son because the Father has worked in your life circumstances and in your life to bring you to Himself. You are a gift from the Father to the Son. Ponder that. The Father and the Son love you because they love you. Don't look inside yourself to figure out why. Look at the Son. The Son who endured death and rejection, everything else in His incarnation to save every single one the Father gave Him. He came for you. 
before you were born. He's not turning back now. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. Have you come? You were sweetly given by the Father to the Son. And what's even more, whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. Do not think hard thoughts of Jesus. It's not one person he'll cast away. So God's gift of a people to the Son does not come with receipts. There's not one person that the Son desires to take back. Guarantees that with his blood. How can you be sure that the Son will not cast out anyone who comes to him? Verse 38, the Son has come from heaven, not to do his own will, but the will of him who sent me. So it's here that he he begins honing in on this word will, not his, but the will of the Father who sent him. How central this will be to his prayer in the garden. What is the will of the Father who sent the Son? Verse 39, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. So Jesus isn't making this up as he goes along. He's come to do the Father's will, and the Father's will is that Jesus lose nothing of all that the Father has given him. He will not lose one sheep. Now this is called perseverance or preservation of the saints. We confess this as a church. Those whom God has accepted in Christ will never totally nor finally fall away from a state of grace. You can impair your graces. You can fall through neglect or temptation into sin, but you shall be renewed again under repentance as a special providence watches over your welfare. You will be kept by the power of of God. True confession from me uh, some years ago, and yes, it was years ago, I went to pick up all of my kids from an activity, and we were giving some other kids, the Zazics, a ride home. And so as we left, you know, we have a lot of kids in our families. We all piled into the car, and we went off, and everything was great. I was, uh, I was actually serving Jenny, and uh, everything was in control, and we were five minutes away from their house, and I hear in the back of the car, Dad, where's Harper? What do you mean, where's Harper? My kids like to joke. Car's filled with kids. Stop playing around. Harper, come out. Harper, there's no Harper. I left her. I turned around. I sped as fast as I could back to that place, and, of course, that dreadful scene, Harper crying, one adult, comforting her. Of course, your dad's going to come back to get you. Of course, he'll come back to find you. I lost her completely, and I begged my kids not to tell my wife. Of course, they did. (laughs) Jesus is not like me. He will lose nothing of what his father has given him because this is his father's will, the will he came to accomplish. Think of this Because this is the Father's will, and he's come to accomplish the Father's will, it would be to his eternal shame if he lost one sheep. Jesus does not lose sheep. You uncertain in your life? Are you anxious? Are you wanting to take a risk, but you're not sure if you should do it in the kingdom? He will not lose you. He has you. You can bank on this. Verse 40 gives you the grounds. And then he tells you why you can be sure. This is the will of my Father. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. 
Jesus has come to do the Father's will, and Jesus is clear. He does not fail in this mission. Keep looking at the Son. Keep believing in the Son. The Son will give to you eternal life, and He will not lose you. Not in this life, not in the life to come, not even in death. He will raise you up on the last day. So this has obviously been on my mind a lot this week as I have thought about when I learned about our former member and our dear brother in Christ, Ronald Adiri's death. Ronald from Uganda came here to work. He worked as a security guard. He came to faith here. He was baptized here. He grew in Christ here. He, he left here. Before he left, he committed himself to his wife, Rose, and their soon-to-be precious boys. We knew Ronald. He believed in the son. I was talking with Sasha about his death this week, and Sasha said he, he, he wrote me a beautiful email last, last summer. And uh, he wrote this to him. After a long period of time, what a joy to greet you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a pleasure to thank and praise God who's been faithful to me and my family and who has kept us. So he'd moved from Ethiopia to Uganda, and so he wrote this, I'm now a member of Cross Fellowship Church here in Kampala. Thank you. And I thank Rack Evangelical Church for bringing me up in the word of our Lord. Our regards to everyone at Rack Evangelical Church. May the grace of the Lord be with us all. Brothers and sisters, even using this church, God kept Ronald. Jesus kept him. He's not lost him even in death. And the grave will not have the last word on Ronald's life because the son accomplished the father's will in his earthly life. And he will not fail in his mission until this earth's very last day. Here is reason to stop working for what will perish and to come to the one who is the bread of life. Here's reason to rest rather than to do these works that have no purpose. Jesus is the bread of life. He gives satisfying, lasting bread, not to those who work, but believe. And no one who believes will ever be lost. How lost that crowd was when they were trying to find, they were seeking Jesus that day. How lost they were in the midst of all of this teaching that they did not understand. How different for Jesus, who finds each one he seeks and will not lose even one that the Father has given. But he will raise up each one who has looked to him and who has believed. Ronald, and you, and me on the last day.